Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean's developer cloud makes it simple to launch in the cloud and scale up as you grow. They have an intuitive control panel, predictable pricing, team accounts, worldwide availability with a 99.99 uptime SLA and 24-7, 365 world-class support to back that up. DigitalOcean makes it easy to deploy, scale, store, secure, and monitor your cloud environments. Head to do.co slash changelog to get started with a $100 credit. Again, do.co slash changelog. From Changelog Media, this is Founders Talk, one-on-one conversations with founders, CEOs, and makers about their journey, lessons learned, and the struggles they go through to build and run their business. I'm Adam Stagoviak, host of this show and editor-in-chief of Changelog.com. This is one of those shows that starts out in a very unique way. Mike McDermott, the founder of FreshBooks, became a founder by accident. Like many of us, Mike had an itch that he just had to scratch, and one thing led to another, and soon enough... FreshBooks became a key tool in the belt of many freelancers and agencies who were looking for an easy way to send invoices and get paid quickly online. But getting started by accident was interesting to me, so that's exactly where we started. You're an accidental founder. How does that happen? How did you become an accidental founder, Mike? (laughs) I mean, that one, I'm still like, I don't get that one. So first of all, I'd say when we started out, like, hey, I guess I had founded a design firm. But starting this company in an accidental way, I, I think the inspiration for FreshBooks, for those who don't know it, was uh, I basically, I was using Word and Excel to build my clients. I saved over an invoice and I, I just, I was at the end of my rope because that had a whole bunch of problems with it. And, you know, I just built something and I, I wasn't really thinking, you know, it was like a creative exercise. So I, I think that's how I get started. And then it's like a little snowball rolling down the top of a big hill. <laughs> And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. I I will also say maybe just a little window into me and what makes me tick is I I like to follow my nose, right? I, you know, maybe it's got a good scent for, you know, opportunity and and value and the desire to solve problems for others. But, you know, that's really, you know, what it's been. So, you know, I, I think I got into it through accident and then just continued to, you know, follow the trail. Gotcha. It seems kind of a common path to just scratch your own itch, right? To figure out a problem. And in this case, you're an entrepreneur. So your problem turned into a company. Uh, You saved over an invoice. You created a better way to do online invoicing in an age when it wasn't really happening much, right? Like take us back to say the era, like name the year, kind of give us a frame of reference for the, the length of time FreshBooks has been in business. Yeah. So the moment when I got frustrated and saved over that invoice was actually in January, 2013. If you go all the way back there, and I was running a small design firm, I had this business, I was working from home, I kind of had a constellation of contractors. Anyways, if you go back to that time, a very different time with the technologies involved, uh, with the availability of information for how to build a company, you know, frankly, I think this notion of being a founder was was less an obvious path. I think things like, frankly, the movie, The Social Network and Facebook and all this stuff is like, there's been a quite a significant transition, I I would say, in just awareness of entrepreneurship as a path and its desirability. And the markets have been exciting for the last while. So people are certainly considering it more. But back in 2003, it's like the dot-com bubble just happened. 
<laughs> everybody's run, running for the hills, you know, not too far from 9-11. Like it was, it was a dark time. The technologies people use today to build the kinds of products that, you know, when services we run just didn't even exist. And so, so that's a bit of the context where we got started at. Yeah. And just to clarify, you said 2013, but I think you oh. meant 2003. <laughs> My bad. That's uh, hopefully people can uh, switch <laughs> context there. Absolutely. I meant 2003. Yeah, that was that was the moment we got started. And then, you know, it wasn't really a company for a little while uh, yet. So let's talk about maybe that path then, the early days. I mean, I don't want you to go through your entire history. I'd like to focus on th- some things that you're doing now as a CEO, because I think Mike today versus Mike in 2003 or even, you know, 2010, when we last spoke on a different podcast that I ran called Web 2.0 Show, that interview is still out there. I will link it up in the show notes. You can go back and listen to how terrible I sounded and maybe how... Amazing you sounded. I don't know. We'll <laughs> find out. But. Probably both in the uh, terrible bucket. Who knows? I'm, yeah, I'm afraid now. <laughs> but uh, back in these days, you'd mentioned that you're right. Entrepreneurship wasn't something that was – it has become a a thing that people are more aware of. And I think, too, as you'd mentioned, technology being available, today we have so much you know, very modern software available at the touch of any button, basically, to any software developer or anybody who would – have this itch that you once had in those days you had to make everything right you were starting literally from scratch the open source wasn't even as prolific as it is today so help us understand say the technological landscape of then and the hurdles you had to go through to build a a stable application like FreshBooks would have to be to face a goliath like say quickbooks or something else yeah, very different times. I think I think it comes into I think there's two major things that uh, are worth mentioning. So first of all, like Rails, you know, like a technology like Ruby on Rails, like a, a framework for developing web applications, really didn't exist, and we were building our own and, and rolling our own. There were some kind of at the margins, but nothing like what's available now. And and frankly, in the next like 24 months after that, the landscape with Rails getting momentum and what have you was was a big change. So we were a lamp shop. So PHP, you know, Linux, Apache, MySQL. Right. So I think just all those technologies that people take for granted now, like jQuery, not around, like these these fundamental building blocks. And then I think the other major one I'd call people's attention to that we've seen through over our, our tenure is actually mobile. Like smartphones were not a thing. You know, I didn't even have a, you know, like a clamshell. I didn't even have a cell phone starting the business. I was like, ah, forget it. I'll just stick to landlines. Eventually I got a, <laughs> you know, a clamshell. I, I may have had a, a, actually a pager for a while because whatever, but it was just different. Right. And so you know, there's another whole platform you need to start building these products for. And frankly, you know, that mobile piece started to just bring much more clarity to the art of ease of use and the user experience. It just forced, you know, really brought new expectations with what is possible to, to people. So it's, I expect it on my phone and my desktop. I expect it to be easy to use, like really easy to use. You know, I expected to maybe work with location services, like whole other considerations that you know, no one was thinking about when we started out. So, so yeah, we've, I mean, I think those are two of the, the big fundamental changes from a technology standpoint. I guess the other one would be just cloud, right? Um, you know, being able to host your products in the cloud versus, you know, bare metal, whether you're running it and, or like what we did, having it managed at Rackspace. But, you know, those are three <laughs> huge changes in terms of uh, the technology landscape for these kinds of products. Well, let's compare and contrast then for the listener's sake. We're going to get into 
this uh, rewrite slash competitor you built in a bit. So kind of dovetail into that if you'd like, but compare and contrast the technology that you built, you know, the classic FreshBooks on and the things you're using today, like are you using open source? Are you in the cloud? You know, maybe not, you don't have to go too deep into that, but just the tech, just give me kind of a, a bird's eye view, so to speak of like today versus then. Yeah. So, so we've always been open source, uh, just LampStack being the thing was just that they were seriously underdeveloped at that point in time. You know, today we're like single page app with Ember, you know, hosted Google Cloud. I mean, I think those are some of the, the, the big pieces, right? And then it's like you have all these tools available to you, you know, whether it's things like Datadog or whatever to monitor application performance or, you know, all the, the tooling. Observability, monitoring, yeah, stuff like that. GitHub yeah, GitHub to support your, you know, your development practices. Like there have been a lot of changes in and around the actual technology choices that you use to, you know, to, to build your actual product. It's the, you know, a lot of the improvements have come in, like how we facilitate the production of software as well. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's dovetail then, I guess, into how you almost killed FreshBooks. I assume that at some point, I, I don't know, really, I can only speculate, but it seems like maybe the technical direction of FreshBooks wasn't going the right direction. You needed to scale and do things, as you'd mentioned, mobile came into play. A lot of, you know, maybe even responsive design had a big issue on that, or maybe just the fact that we had multiple device styles, whether it's a desktop or an iPad or an iPhone or something like that, um, bring us into this idea of creating a, a competitor. This, this seems very, I've never heard of this before, ever. <laughs> yeah, you know, to be honest, uh, I think that's a, a proud moment. We, we like to think we, we find creative solutions to problems here at FreshBooks as part of the, the art, and uh, this was definitely one. You know, effectively, where we got to was you can talk about the the age of some of the technology, and we had moved on and started upgrading parts of our stack. And you know, using we use a lot of Python today. We'd already started that for a lot of our backend services. So we were using an ever evolving and improving collection of technologies that were more and more modern. So we weren't stuck back there. But one of the places we were stuck is you know, the architecture of our application. When we started out was just not clean, and so we had a lot of basically backend or almost middleware, if you want logic, baked in with our front end. And so mm-hmm. if I think about the root cause for what we decided to do, which was to fully replatform, it was really because, hey, we believe consumer expectations have changed so much, you know, because of mobile, because of other advances, that if we want to win long term, you know, we're not going to be able to refactor our way to greatness, okay? So we started out and said, okay, if user experience matters, ease of use and simplicity, we have won on that today, but it will be harder and harder for us to win and win again and win long-term if we don't do something kind of radical design-wise. Let's design those designs of where it would be. And then, you know, can we get from here to there? And the short answer was not really. <laughs> and so, so we decided to replatform. And in so doing, it opened up a whole series of other problems for us. You know, questions when you replatform, like it is, you know, if you read Joel Spolsky or what have you, it's like, hey, it's the number one strategic mistake you can make as a software company. Like you just don't do it. You are bound to fail. It's and, severely frowned upon. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is severely frowned upon. And I, I think there's good reasons for that. You, you know, first of all, it's going to take longer and cost more than you think. Like you may never finish. That is a very likely scenario. And actually, we tried twice before and, and failed. Uh, so it was the third time that we kind of got it done. My favorite ones are maybe less obvious and more business oriented, but you could build another version of your offering and 
it could fundamentally perform worse from a business standpoint. And you wouldn't even know. You'd fall like what happens is inside the building, you're building a new platform and your team is falling in love with doing the new thing. Okay. But that doesn't mean it's better or more business performant, right? And that should be the reason you're doing this stuff, right? Technology, as much as we all love it, it, it's a means to an end. And if you're making the missionary investments to write a new platform, like the thing better perform better. So, you know, you wouldn't know that for sure. Then there's the good old, uh, hey, your competitors are still moving while you're standing still, replatforming. That's not good. So they're catching up if you get a lead. Okay, that's bad because it's probably going to be a multi-year thing if you're relatively established. We're number two in America for small business accounting software. So, you know, hard hard to do that. And then finally, uh, my favorite one, I like to call the sophomore jinx, but uh, I like to describe it this way is if you've ever had a, a band you love their first album, and you go by the second one and you're like ashamed to be a fan because it's so bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> that is a bad scenario. And one hit wonder or one album wonder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, man, I don't want to be one of those. And so, I mean, I think that presents itself when you go and redesign a new thing. Like there's no guarantee your customers are going to love it. Like, you know, people are inherently afraid of change. So things are kind of stacked against you. And so, so then we had a whole bunch of problems, you know, basically like, oh, how do we measure it and know it's better how do we get some stealth while we're working on this so our competitors can't find us? And I just tuned on all these problems and um, came up with this crazy idea one weekend when I was chewing on these problems. I was like, well, what happened if we created a company that had nothing to do with us? No one could track the two companies together. And we use that as like a Petri dish to build the new FreshBooks. And what we would get out of that is we could build something out of our competitors' eyes or even our customers' eyes, frankly, which is helpful in a lot of ways. We could scale it up to know if it was actually business performing and, and better because it wasn't our brand. And I think once you have a brand and people trust you, you really cannot take as much risk, right? Because, you know, like a really new, fragile, embryonic kind of technology, like there's big risk in that, right? Whether it's user experience risk or, you know, production availability or data loss risk, like all these risks are there. And so if you're flying under the banner of your existing brand, it gets very hard to take the kinds of risks that lead to something really innovative. And I think that's why actually a lot of big companies suck at this stuff. It's one of the reasons. There, there are others, but it's less talked about and, and super important. And I really wanted to have an environment, a set of conditions where people could take risks. And so by creating this new company, which we you know, incorporated on its own, like had its own website, its own brand name, did everything over here, we ran it for like actually live for like, you know, eight to 12 months or nine to 12 months uh, before sort of determining it was ready to, to switch it over and start moving some people over. Um, that, that, was, that was the approach we took. And that was kind of why. And that was kind of the context. But yeah, it was definitely a, a different way to solve a problem. And then I'll you know, go further and, and say, I think then we had this other problem of, OK, we have two platforms. People don't like to switch. We believe in the four E's, which is executing extraordinary experiences every day very customer service and customer focused orientation as a business. We recognize that people, you know, want to not be like, you know, a lot of migrations go badly because you build a new platform, you force everybody to migrate, you know, that platform's not ready. Um, you know, and as much as you think it is and your team's in love with their new thing, I can tell you like new FreshBooks was not perfectly ready for everyone day one at all. And so it would have been tragic if we forced everybody over. We didn't do that. We actually ran both platforms and let our customers choose when to move over. And if they wanted to move over. And, and we thought that was the kind of the right thing to do because we are serious business software. We're, you know, play an important role in people's lives. And having that choice, we just thought was empowering to them, would help build trust. And we actually help people roll back if it, it didn't work out, you know, the way they wanted it to. And so, 
you know, all this, we try to take this challenging thing that is usually like a major trust mitigating event and, and find a way to design the experiences. So ideally it's trust building or, or neutral, you know, we had lots of people who are super excited about new fresh books. Like that's the vast majority, but we definitely had some people who were like, you know, this is not what I had hoped. And that may have been two years ago. And now they'd be like, oh, it's better than I imagined. But, you know, that's the, <laughs> this is the thing about software. So I think not only was creating a new company novel and different, our approach to migrating customers from one platform to another, I've never heard of anyone else doing that before, also um, novel. And, you know, I think the team and for executing the complexity in those things and, and conceiving of them deserves a lot of credit. Certainly would take a lot of trust of a team in a leader like you to, to believe in that path and to put their neck on the line every single day and come to work and kill it and, you know, do what you've done. So I guess the question hanging in my mind is, is the new fresh books the same technology that you built with this competitor? Was it a one-to-one? Did you essentially acquire that company? Like in the public side, how did you, so it's one thing to build it in secret, right? But in the public side, at some point they do connect the dots and you, you're here talking today. So it's not a secret. So how do you, you know, do that? And then, fold all this in, in a way that remains trustworthy. Yeah. And we could probably write several books on all this. Take your time with that one. No, no, I'll try and articulate <laughs> it because what was really fascinating about this when you're inside the problem is literally like you are lost in a maze of possibilities and it is completely overwhelming. You don't know which way to go. And it's like, you're kind of at square one on this journey of building software. And you know, that is exhilarating, but also kind of terrifying. And so here's the thing, like that seemed so complex to us, but after a time, like I came to realize and help the team get, it's like, you know what? Like if you're not us, you know, if you're a net new person to FreshBooks and you sign up for a new offering, you don't know anything else. Like you don't care. <laughs> yeah. All you, all you want is a good product. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, we're managing all this complexity, have all this history, but like somebody who signs up today, all they know is what they sign up for. So basically, yeah, what we did is we went back to the users of that, the new platform, it was called BillSpring. And we told them it had been acquired by FreshBooks. Okay, full stop. Okay, I was curious how that would work yeah. out, yeah. Yeah, and it was like, you know, hey, we acquired it, you know, end of story. And there was not much Bruja, that's that's fine. And we didn't, you know, they could keep using it, so whatever. And in all honesty, that's exactly what it was, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. Yep. It's, it's not that it was not factual. That's the truth. Yeah. It, I mean, the part that was less obvious was that we built it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's like uh, that That was, you know, I, I, I hate to think anyone would think we were disingenuous about that. Like they were actively trying to get away from us. But uh, no. So we designed, built, conceived, you know, that whole thing, you know, built it. But but yeah. So then we, we sort of acquired it. And that was the public way for people to easily understand it. And we started flying our logo there. And then, yeah. And then we just, you know, started signing people up who signed up at FreshBooks on that new thing. Right. And it was kind of that, that simple. And it took us a while to realize it could be that simple. Right. That, that was, that was a thing. And I think, you know, again, I think we deserve a lot of credit for, I think we could have executed it in a much more convoluted and confusing way because we were, it was convoluted and confusing for our experience, but we got to a place of simplicity and, and that is a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's a, you couldn't do that with say GitHub, for example, you mentioned GitHub earlier. Uh, let's say five years from now, Microsoft recently acquired GitHub and they're like, wow, we have to replatform this thing. Like, I don't think GitHub would be easy to replatform in the same way you had done. So it seems like this solution. So listeners who are tuning into this might be thinking, dang, Mike, you just hit the Holy grail. 
I got to replatform and, or I'm in a scenario like this, <laughs> you know, let me do what you've done. I mean, one, would you do it again? I mean, I think that is the question. And I honestly don't know. Um, the, the benefits and the trade-offs were, were so interesting and fascinating. I, I think for the team and the company and realizing what we're capable of, I want to do it every day. But in terms of the cost and the time and what have you, it's like, man, could we find a way to refactor it? <laughs> How many years has it been into this this transition? Because I'm a customer, so let's let's be let's do full disclosure here. I'm actually a user of FreshBooks for a long time, using the classic version of it, and I know that you've had a non-classic version for at least a couple of years. Yeah, that's right. And we would have started building that, you know, 18 months before that. So you know, call it a solid three and a half years. Right. I mean, some businesses don't even last that long. You know what I mean? Like, and you've been transitioning and migrating for that long. That's pretty wild. Yeah, running in parallel. I, we, we realized we could do that without too much burden, which was which was good. And and maybe you know someone else's platform that would not be the case. Right. Divided efforts. You know, forked interests, attention spans, etc. So they are two distinct platforms. And even today, you still have FreshBooks New and FreshBooks Classic. You still have two distinct platforms. We have customers on two platforms. Yeah, we only available as new FreshBooks. Right. So when somebody buys today, that somebody subscribes today, word of mouth, whatever, it's new fresh books only. That's correct. What's the what's the skew then percentage wise? Old platform, new platform. Most most people are on new fresh books. Lion's share. So I'm the anomaly here then. Yeah, you're, you're certainly in the minority. <laughs> well, pre call, I did say that it was my fault, not your fault, because it's just fear of change. That's that's the problem here. Is is not that you haven't sold me on it. It's that it's just plain old simple fear of change. You know what I mean? And that's what happens. That, I mean, this is the thing about uh, replatforms, and and that's why I think the the mechanism and letting people go, like you know, we're trying to boil you as a, a frog, Adam, so to speak, until you're just like, yeah, it's it's just time for me to go over, and I, I'm I've geared myself up, and it's going to be great, you know. Then that will happen in in time, and you know, we'll have everybody over on new fresh books in time. But uh, you know, for now, it, it's great. We we want happy customers, and uh, you know, it's been uh, it's been working well for us. Let's laser in a bit more to. To you, I know we've been talking to you mostly about FreshBooks' journey, not so much Mike's journey. But you know, what are your biggest challenges today as a CEO? Like, what do you what are you personally facing? Yeah, my my patented answer to this question, but I'll I'll get into some other more interesting things. Is uh, you know, ask me in twenty minutes, and you'll have a, a different answer. Like, I, I'm just <laughs> always chewing through a series of problems. You know, I think if I make it really personal, you know, we're over three hundred people. We're hiring like fifty right now. I think how your role changes and how you need to change and these kinds of things. And so I think I went through, I was kind of like very much like a hands-on, you know, directive startup founder at the start, like that, you know, that sort of air quotes, crazy founder guy who was, you know, pushing things through and what have you. And then I went on a journey of like learning how to kind of get out of the way. And, you know, the biggest unlocking thing for me was realizing I, I just needed to hire like a whole other level of seasoned maturity around me. And that's what I like working with. I've always been great with like kind of people who are been there, done that, got the T-shirt. It was kind of the in-between phase that was harder. So built a team of those folks and then started learning how to lead a little more. And I think this whole Bill Spring thing was like, hey, that's the job right? You know, you're leading. And, and so that, you know, that was part of the journey. And, you know, you still have everyone has their tendencies and biases. And so I'm like constantly trying to grow out of any, any sort of reactionary behaviors and always be very disciplined about how I'm, I'm manifesting and the effect, you know, have on others and for the business and thinking sort of long term. I mean, I think one of the hardest things for me has always been letting people make their mistakes, right? I'm sitting there, it's so obvious to me they're making a mistake. 
I just want to give them the answer, but you got to let them go and do it. That, that has been one of the hardest lessons for me. And that's not to say I think I'm always right or anything like that. That's not the point. But when I know someone's heading down the wrong path, you know, back yeah. in the day, I would never let them do it. I'd just be like, no, we're doing this, like whatever. And, um, you know, you, you ultimately don't, you know, people don't build up and get to the same level of capability if you're, you're sort of stealing that away from them. So that was poor leadership and management on a bunch of levels from, from me. So that I think has been one of the, the hardest things. And then, you know, and then I'm interested in coming into a phase again now where it's like, okay, things are operating at a scale, kind of brought in a, a better half who's like a president, like to drive the next, you know, sort of like uh, growth period of the business. And I actually need to go back to almost those earlier days and like tinkering and bringing some of that, you know, that kind of thinking into the business. And so I'm, I'm working on longer term, squishier things now, you know, like around like brand and, and things of that nature, which, you know, I'm, I'm very well suited to do, but, you know, are decidedly less operational. Uh, they still require a measure of leadership, but, you know, the focus is, is very different, far more intangible, nothing urgent, but all highly important as opposed to a lot of years where everything is, is you know, is urgent and, and important. So that's, that's kind of, you know, a little window into uh, my life these days. Have you heard of our newest show called Brain Science? Yes, Brain Science. It's a different kind of show, I know. And it's probably one of the ones that reaches the furthest out from our typical listener audience. But this podcast is what we call for the curious. And what's cool about this show is we're exploring the inner workings of the human brain to understand things like behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and pretty much what it means to be human. If you've ever thought about why you do what you do or why others do what they do, then this show is for you. Head to changelaw.com slash brain science to listen, subscribe, and learn more about this awesome show. Here's a preview of a recent episode called One Small Act of Kindness, talking about empathy and mirror neurons. So it sounds like pliability and flexibility is a pretty crucial role too in relationships because if you're not flexible, bendable, pliable, whatever, however you want to phrase that, mm -hmm. if you're rigid, right, right that's only going to, that's only going to, but it's going to be difficult for you to flex. Right. To enable change or to what you've said before, recalculate. Yeah. You know, accept new data, make, you know, analyze that data, make a new plan and iterate towards a new action. Yeah. And so one of the other things involved with this flexibility would be what researchers have discovered as mirror neurons. And right. so mirror neurons are these neurons within the brain that help us sort of get access to another person's emotional experience. And so there's a, an action component in it that it was first discovered actually with monkeys and this sort of mimicry that occurred by watching somebody else do an action. Well, in the same way, I can sort of watch somebody else walk through something in terms of an emotional experience. And if I'm holding space for them in my mind, like my body physiologically, the, these mirror neurons come come to play. Is that why people cry when they watch movies or certain movies because their mirror neurons are firing because they're watching somebody go through a situation and they're empathizing with them and can't help but encapsulate themselves mm -hmm. into their scenario and feel what they're feeling? Mm -hmm. Is that why? Yes. 
Okay. So is that why anybody cries at anything when it's like, say, movie related? Because they're think that's of, what's happening? Yeah. Think about it sort of like this emotional contagion, right? So that's interesting to put it that way. I, we've said mirror neurons several times, but this emotional contagion, I, I believe, is actually a, a better subtitle for mirror neurons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so some of this emotional contagion or mirror neurons, like the research has been rooted in aspects of pain. Because if I can recognize sort of the suffering of another. All right. To keep listening, head to changelaw.com slash brain science slash nine. That will take you to the episode titled One Small Act of Kindness. Marielle and I dig into this thing called empathy as a construct. We ask questions like what key brain structures are involved? How can we better understand empathy to be able to better navigate ourselves and our relationships with others, both at home and in the workplace? It's a deep subject, a very fun subject. Again, changelog.com slash brain science slash nine or search for brain science on your favorite podcast app and subscribe. We'd love to have you as a listener. Next question for you, I guess, dovetailing off that is how do you keep up as, say, a leader? Like, where do you get your skills? Do you read books? Do you have a coach? You know, how do how do you keep yourself sharp? Is it just bloody knuckles? You know, are you a lone ranger? Give, give us a, your personality type. Yeah. So I, I think it's a confluence of things and I'll try and talk some of those and tell you where I am right now. So so I, you know, I, I didn't ever work anywhere else. I uh, didn't really have a manager or a boss or any of these things. And so, so leading and things of this nature have always been uh, a bit of a mystery to me. Like no, no role models is another way to put it, which is hard, right? And so, you know, I think there, I had some, a combination of some formative experiences where, you know, the only sort of profession I had for doing this stuff, so to speak, was you know, I was frankly a quote unquote camp counselor. And the way that manifested for me is I took these, I took people my last two years doing that. I took people out on a 36 day and a 42 day canoe trip. Right. So it's like me in the woods with one other sort of co-counselor and a bunch of, you know, sort of people are like sort of 16 years old or whatever. And what happens is, and we would travel like long distances in a given day and sort of think of, I don't know, like 30 miles kind of thing. Like would, would not be a ridiculous day on, on water and land. It's a long trip on a canoe. Yeah, that's one day, right? We did longer ones, we did shorter ones, but that, that was some of these trips, that was kind of an average day. No, we were moving. And um, what, what you get out of that is, um, you know, a sense of perseverance and, and teamwork and all these things. So I think that was a formative experience for me where I got a lot of, you know, situational awareness for how, how things can go. And then when I started, you know, on this road of building this company, I realized how gapped I was on business and all these other things. And so my orientation was to collect advisors. Like I would reach out and network with people who knew more. And I think I had, uh, for whatever reason, people were always, I, I guess I had a knack for, for building rapport and having people want, want to help me, right? Like it, it wasn't mm-hmm. a push, like pretty soon they'd be pulling and they'd make time for me and they were helpful. And, and, um, and so I would collect these advisors for like, you know, the many, many problems I had to solve. And so that became an input and they became, you know, instructive for me. And then 
I think another thing that happened was I hired these more, you know, I would then read like the internet and I read a lot of books. Like I'm kind of like an input learner. So I read it, I consume it, I digest it. I refer to it and build on it later as part of how I learn. So every night I'm probably reading for half an hour and it's almost always a, a business book. I do like other forms of book and I like reading in general, but you know, mostly I'm reading about how to be a better you know, business operator and grower. And then, uh, you know, final thing is just surrounding myself with, and I think where most of the stuff I've gotten in the last few years has been you know, frankly, the management team members I hire who are all more expert, like they're, you know, like I cannot do their job, mm -hmm. but that's not my job. <laughs> yeah. My job is to build the team and to point the company in the right direction, understanding the market and the customer, make sure the bank account's full. Hey, I can do those things. Okay. But, you know, they, they operate their functional areas and they're great with people, leadership, people, management. So there's some learning there. And then the, the final thing I layer on top of that is I now do these things. We have a weekly thing called shorthands. We offer everybody lunch and we give them recent updates to the company. And um, not every time, but most of the time I, I'll do a thing called uh, Mike's Musing, which is I literally talk about something I've learned about leadership. And, uh, you know, that act of having to explain it to somebody else helps to, you know, reinforce how much turns out I've actually learned a bunch. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, the, but the act of, you know, consciously saying, hey, I saw some inspired, they're always inspired by like some manager or leader I've been talking with in like the last 72 hours. And then I just, I take this lesson and don't refer to that individual or anything like that. But just say like, hey, here's, here's how I'd handle this and let, let's build our collective leadership capacity. So I think those are the, the things uh, on that journey uh, that I, I've leaned on. What do you think gets you excited these days then? You know, having been, you, you mentioned just to rewind a little bit, what you, some of the things you said, you said, I haven't worked anywhere else, really. You've been a founder slash CEO for quite some time now. So you've done, for lack of better terms, this job, whether it's changed over the years or not, you've been in this position. At some point, I get bored, right? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. How, what keeps you excited? What is it for you? I think this transition to less operational was quite uncomfortable at the start. But now I'm starting to realize like, oh, yeah, I'm getting back to more creating. Like, I'm a builder. Right. I like to create and build. If there's like three phases, like create, build, scale, you know, my super strengths are, are probably in the create and build out phases. And then, you know, like my super strength is probably, you know, am I a world class scaler of things? No. But, you know, can I see, you know, three to five years down the road to help those people who do scale to point them in the right direction? Yes. So, the, hey, like know your strengths. And then it's like, OK, if I'm spending all my time, you know, sort of like in the three year, 18 month plus to three year area, and that's my area of influence, then it's like, OK, what do I need to think about us building and how do I make that happen? That That's a fun problem set, you know, high, yeah. highly valuable and impactful. And it's a luxury to even be here. Um, but in some ways, it's a lot like going back to the beginning. <laughs> I just have learned more along the way. Uh, so so that's a place. And then, you know, I work with, I've actually uh, helped found some other companies, you know, and, and one in particular that I spent some time with, which is a good, it is at the earliest stages. And, you know, it's very interesting. And so helping that team go is a source of motivation outside the office. But the point is, I actually have some big, meaty, interesting challenges inside the office. And, um, you know, because, you know, this is what happens, like, there are some of the problems you got to solve multiple times and that can be a little frustrating, but you know, that's, we, we got a long way to go and a big, big, big platform and opportunity ahead of us. And, you know, I, I think we're in the early days of really taking advantage of, you know, whether it's, you know, machine learning, ML, like all the like early days for our category and doing that stuff. And, and that, that to me is a lot of fun. Exciting. Yeah. Well, you mentioned bringing in a, I believe you said a president, is that right? To sort of take over, more of the next phase of growth for you? 
Yeah. I mean, I think the way I would look at it, and that's you know, not the actual title, but I think the easiest way to think about the role is an interesting construct. We're two in a box. We run the company together. We do one-to-one-to-ones with our senior management team. So three of us are in there. The two of us is kind of, you know, what have you. But the individual in question is, is you know, been fantastically successful. And they like to lean in the zero to 18-month time frame, right? And I'm going to lean 18 months plus. And so we're together on the same page with each other's files, but, you know, we don't need to go to the same meetings. In the same meeting, we bring a different area of focus. It might be like called a COO in, in other businesses. I, I think you know, this individual's got a lot, brings a lot more to bear than, than most COOs would. So, so that's the, you know, it's a, it's a great, you know, great partnership from my point of view. And it actually is quite liberating, right? Because it's like, okay, you run the results and the operations. I'm going to run the future. Uh, we'll do both together. Uh, but but uh, that's the that's where the emphasis lies, and, and kind of more the accountabilities, and that's fine. And I guess the reason why I brought that back up in in that capacity was to say that you know you began as the original founder, the visionary, and you've had to graduate yourself out of this role of everyday doing and more leading and building the team, as you'd mentioned that you know you mentioned you couldn't do their job, et cetera to now being in a position where you can free yourself up again to get back into the details, right? And so I asked you about your motivation, et cetera. And I guess that leads me to this question of like, you know, if that's the case, if you're now able to get back into some of these bigger challenges you mentioned that are still in the, in the office, you know, what's the next big thing for you? You know, what's the next big thing for FreshBooks? Yeah. So as a rule of, we wouldn't disclose, right? <laughs> so, but uh, but I will say like Fridays are my favorite days, and that's where I go to like the sprint reviews for for our you know, product development teams, right? So that's so it's back to the details. I'm not the core person, you know, like driving those meetings, but I'm there. I'm seeing seeing the things get groomed up and have the opportunity to ask questions and and play the role of like, okay, okay, we were talking about a feature the other day, and it's like this team is building it, and they've looked at the competitors and. You know, they're like, hold up, we're going to build it like this. I'm like, whoa, 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 stop, stop the presses. Like you're building something, you know, that was intended to replicate a paper world, right? You mm-hmm. know, we are, we have this great opportunity. We're in the cloud now. Like we, we can do so much that could not be conceived of before. Why would we recreate that model? You know, and, and ask questions like that and, and help them connect. Like, you know, you can, instead of like creating that thing, you know, you can, you can manifest it in like three other ways that are not recreating that thing. You can add messaging and notifications around its creation and, you know, like sequencing events off that. A piece of paper could never do these things. Like, let's let's think about this differently. And so, you know, teams are cranking away like that. That's a fun role to play. Right. And I think, you know, impactful long term. And so that's that's some of the favorite stuff I get to do. And then I have some some pet projects that are you know more secret in nature. Like, you know, we have uh, categories of products that we you know, we would like to offer you. And some of those are known. But, you know, there's categories that I think should exist for you and don't. Right. So like, hey, who's going to go and create those? Like probably this guy. So there, there's a lot of a lot of work to do. And, um, you know, that that is exciting to me. So FreshBooks has been around for a while and you expect it to be around for a lot longer. Like it's not going anywhere. You're only going to get bigger and better. That is the, that is the plan of That's record. That's the goal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Mike, thank you so much for your time today. It was, it was excellent catching back up with you. I mean, it's, it's literally been nine years since we last spoke. The last time we talked was on that podcast. We're not great friends. We should be great friends, but hey, that's how it works out, right? It feels like it. Nice to pick up where we left off, Adam. And thank you for choosing FreshBooks all these years. Yes, I love FreshBooks. And that's uh, that's not a paid thing. Hey, I really love FreshBooks. 
I think it's an amazing product. I think I've always had great respect for you and your team. And FreshBooks for me, honestly, I mean, I just love it. It's, it's amazing. So trustworthy, reliable, never it's, it's never failed me. That's the best part. It's never failed me ever. I love that. That makes me very happy to hear. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks for having me, Eddie. All right, thank you for tuning into this episode of Founders Talk. If you enjoyed this show, do me a favor, go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, whatever you're using, favorite it, leave us a rating or review. If you tweet, tweet a link to a friend. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner, head to fastly.com to learn more. And we're able to move fast and fix things around here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers at the linode.com slash changelog. Support this show. Music is by the one and only Breakmaster Cylinder. And if you want to hear more shows like this, subscribe to our master feed. It's awesome. Check it out at changelog.com slash master or go to your podcast app and search for Changelog Master. You'll find it. Subscribe. Get all of our shows in one single feed as well as some extras that only hit the master feed. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again soon. Music.